I'm Beth Bennett, and this is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, September 15th, 2015. Coming up, we have an interview with Dr. Paula Hoffman, a neuropharmacologist, that's a scientist who studies what drugs do in the brain, who works on the genetics of alcohol and other drugs of abuse. First, we begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. You may have heard that moderate drinking is good for your heart health, but what about other health issues? Plenty of studies have shown that heavy drinking is a big risk factor for colorectal cancer. We'll call that CRC. But conclusions regarding moderate alcohol intake and CRC have been mixed. Recently, a group of scientists at the University of California at San Diego used data from over 20 published studies to determine the association between moderate alcohol consumption and other factors that interact with alcohol to produce a risk for CRC. The researchers defined moderate intake as 30 grams of alcohol per day. That's about two standard drinks. In other words, two beers, two six-ounce glasses of wine, or one hefty mixed drink. At that moderate level of drinking, risk of CRC was not increased and was actually decreased, but that's in steady populations eating a Mediterranean diet, where wine was the major alcoholic beverage consumed. Other factors, such as obesity, folate deficiency, and genetic susceptibility, were linked to higher CRC risk for those consuming any alcohol. Bottom line... A few drinks aren't good for everybody. This work was published last week in the journal Alcoholism, Clinical and Experimental Research. On the local news front, the University of Colorado Henderson Museum has a special BAT program planned on Wednesday, September 16th. That's tomorrow at 6 p.m. Dr. Rick Adams of the University of Northern Colorado will present The Wonderful World of Bats. In his lecture, Dr. Adams will discuss the novel physiology and anatomy of bats, as well as their astonishing abilities at using echolocation to see in complete darkness. In addition, as acro bats, their flight skills are unequaled in the animal kingdom. While adults are attending Dr. Adams' lecture in the paleontology hall, museum docents will be presenting hands-on activities for young children in the bio lounge downstairs. Thus, kids will also have an opportunity to get a better understanding of bats and learn the importance of their role in diverse ecosystems. Following the lecture, Dr. Adams and Edward von Bleichert of the Environmental Operations Department in the CU Facilities Management will guide a tour to the main campus to observe an outflight of a colony of bats. The tour is appropriate for all ages. The museum is located in Boulder on the University of Colorado campus just off-Broadway and next to the University Memorial Center. That's the UMC. Several RTD buses serve nearby bus stops, and visitor parking is available in the Euclid Auto Park, half a block south on Broadway. A 
When I got the news today, I didn't know what to say. So I just hung up the phone. I took a walk to clear my head. And this is where the walk-in led. Can't believe you're really gone. Don't feel like going home, so I'm gonna say. You are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, and we have more coming up on drinking. Next, Dr. Paula Hoffman, a neuroscientist at the University of Colorado Medical School, will discuss her work identifying genetic pathways underlying alcoholism. I'm speaking to Dr. Paula Hoffman, who has done research on the neurogenetics of alcohol and addiction at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center for quite a few years. Thanks for joining us, Paula. Thank you. And why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about how things work in the brain? How do those synapses that alcohol will affect, how do they work? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a big question. Alcohol, yeah, it's... it's um... Alcohol has very complex effects. So uh, the brain is composed of actually numerous different kinds of cells, but the ones that we're talking about are nerve cells or neurons. And there are what's called presynaptic neurons and then postsynaptic neurons. So the presynaptic neurons um, synthesize neurotransmitters and then release them. And those neurotransmitters cross what's called the synapse. That's the space between the presynaptic and the postsynaptic neurons. And the postsynaptic neurons have specific receptors. Those are proteins that recognize the neurotransmitters that are released presynaptically. And once the um, neurotransmitter interacts with the receptor, it, it starts a cascade of events, uh, which chemical events and electro, electrical events, which send the signal from the presynaptic to the postsynaptic neuron. Um, and the main neurotransmitters, the major neurotransmitters in the brain, there's one inhibitory neurotransmitter, which is called GABA, and then there's an excitatory neurotransmitter, which is called glutamate. Both of these are actually amino acids. And alcohol has uh, significant effects on the actions of both of those neurotransmitters. Okay, so let me just recap. There's a lot of neurons in the brain, and they talk to each other through these little um, synaptic events. Right, which are chemical. So right. the neurons, the, the uh, signal in the neuron is actually electrical. Right. But the electrical signal in the presynaptic neuron releases the, the chemical, and the chemical acts on the postsynaptic neuron to produce uh, another electrical signal. And many people might not be familiar with the neurotransmitters that you're talking about, GABA and glutamate. But for those people, you've most of us have heard of things like dopamine and serotonin, and those are just more of those same chemicals, the neurotransmitters. Right, and those are, um, yes, they're neurotransmitters, and they're not maybe, they're more localized in certain areas of the brain, whereas GABA and glutamate are pretty much everywhere. And that's probably why alcohol has such widespread effects, because the neurotransmitter systems that it affects are all over the brain. Right, and alcohol as a drug, most of the drugs that we're accustomed to using also have receptors. So, for example, if you use morphine, there are proteins in the brain that actually recognize morphine on, on particular neurons. Um, alcohol, although some people have said that it does have binding sites on particular proteins, generally it's thought to not have its own receptors. 
but it does modulate the activity of, particularly of GABA and glutamate. And then those uh, neurotransmitters, the, the neurons form circuits, and those neurotransmitters actually affect uh, dopamine release and dopamine action. So all of them kind of interact in circuits. And because alcohol enhances the inhibitory effects of GABA and, it, and reduces the excitatory effects of glutamate, it's in general, it has a depressant effect. So but because that's of the circuitry, it can actually en- enhance the activity of the dopamine neurons. So it can make us feel good and put us to sleep at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of thinking. <laughs> or people like me, it mostly puts me to sleep. So I think it affects with my affects my GABA system mainly. More than the... <laughs> yes, yeah, so unfortunately for me. <laughs> so how does it do this modulatory stuff? I think that's what's really interesting to people is what causes those effects that alcohol produces? Well, you know, we're still working on that. So we know that uh, in terms of the GABA system. All right, well, it gets a little more complicated because the receptors for GABA are made up of different subunits. And some of those subunits, when when the receptor has particular subunits, it's more sensitive to the actions of alcohol. Now, how alcohol actually affects that receptor is still a little bit up in the air. It might affect... um, So the receptor is a protein, and it can be they, it can have modifications to the protein that affect its activity. I'm talking about things like phosphorylation, but I don't want to go into that right, in detail. Right. But, um, alcohol may affect it that way. So we don't really know the, the specifics of how alcohol activates the GABA system, but we know that it does. It depends on what the, the composition of the receptor is, and so that makes it a little more specific in terms of which neurons it affects. And the same thing with glutamate. Glutamate has receptors, and they have different subunits, and alcohol, some of those um, receptors that have particular subunits are more sensitive to alcohol. So, so that gives a little bit of specificity in terms of okay. location. Okay, so it's more a function of if receptors in certain parts of the brain are built up of the subunits that are affected by alcohol, then those parts of the brain will be more affected by alcohol. Right. And right. is it also... Um, in addition to that, that some people might have variants of some of those receptor types that will be more or less affected by alcohol. It is it is possible, yes. That, okay. that the proteins that make up those receptors might have a different amino might have a different um, yeah amino acids make up proteins. They might have a different amino acid in one person than they do in another, and that might affect it. Right, but we haven't really looked at that too much, or people in general have not really looked at that issue as much. Um, not as much, I would say. Well, it, it, I could go into the, the genetic studies if you want. Um, okay, no, well, let's, I haven't looked at it in that Yeah, much let's before. cover the basics, and then we okay. can come back to some of those genetic issues too. Okay. So um, it, then here's where we are so far. We know that alcohol affects different subsets of receptors, um, for the glutamate and the GABA systems. And then those, in turn, will feed forward into other systems of the brain like dopamine and serotonin and affect our mood and our activity and eventually our sleepiness. That's right, because these neurons are in, you can think of them in series. So you might have one GABA neuron, GABA is inhibitory, and then it might impinge on a second GABA neuron. So it might actually inhibit an inhibitory neuron. Right. And then that can lead to an excitatory effect. Right. Same thing with, um, I suppose, with with glutamate. You might inhibit the glutamate system, but then that might activate 
a GABA neuron. So it's, you really have to look at these circuits, all of the circuits, uh, in different brain areas, and there are particular brain areas that are associated with rewarding effects of alcohol or reinforcing effects of alcohol. Right. And in those, the GABA and glutamates, uh, the, the GABA, GABA neurons impinge on the dopamine neurons, or GABA affects GABA, and then that releases the dopamine neuron from inhibition. So, so you just have to look at all of the circuits and the different brain areas. And it, you know, it's, it's a fairly complex thing, but we, people have developed means of looking at, at these circuits. Um, so we do understand quite a bit about what happens, maybe not at the basic molecular level, but we understand what's happening in the circuit. Sure, yeah. And so what you've done more in your work is you've looked at genetic variation in terms of, say, different mouse lines or strains that would have variants of some of those different receptors, and therefore they would show different responses to alcohol. Right. Well, let's, so if you want to get into the genetics, um, let's talk about it in terms of humans, I think, at okay. first. Because, okay. um, so first of all, you, if, what people want to know is what, what makes somebody susceptible to becoming addicted, Right. Yes, definitely. Um, and so we talk about the the criteria now. We don't talk. We don't so much talk about alcohol dependence or alcoholism. They talk about alcohol use disorder. And the definition: there are eleven different. I'm looking at it right now. There are eleven different uh, criteria for be, being to having alcohol use disorder. For example, alcohol is taken in larger amounts or over a longer t- period than was intended craving or a strong desire to use alcohol. So there are like 11 of these things. And you, you have two of these symptoms indicates alcohol use disorder in, in a period of 12 months. And then you can have mild, two to three symptoms, moderate, four to five, or severe, six. Okay, so okay. it's a very heterogeneous thing yes. to have an alcohol use disorder. So when you want to look at what makes you vulnerable, it's kind of difficult because what, what are the... What are there? What are these characteristics that you're looking at? You know, is it a genetic propensity to uh, take more alcohol than you should, or uh, not be able to cut down? And so this makes it it makes it very hard. Okay, but what people do is they get large populations. Some people have alcohol use disorder, and some people don't, even though they might have different symptoms. Um, and they look at the whole your whole uh, genetic makeup, the whole genome, all of your genes and all of your other <laughs> DNA, and they look for variants. And then they try to say, okay, is, is there a particular variant that's associated with either with alcohol use disorder or maybe with, with one of these symptoms? Okay, so let me clarify for just a second. Okay. When you talk about looking at a person's genome and looking for variants, there's a couple ways of doing that. And probably the easiest to explain is that you could, in theory, sequence the person's entire genome and look for places where one person differs from another, and we would call that a variant. That's right. Okay. Okay. So, yes, that's, it's probably not technically the easiest way to do it, but it's the easiest way to explain exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so a lot of the you know, studies have been done, but because you're looking at all, every single um, base in the genome, there's a lot of them. And so you have to have a very large population. Statistically, you can't use, you know, three people 
and find a result because you're looking at a million different things. Right. There'll be so, so much variation and yeah. some of it won't mean anything. Right. So you have to get large populations. And so over the years, people have done a lot of these studies um, and certain regions, but it's still not clear. Certain regions of the genome seem to be associated with uh, with alcohol use disorder, for example. Yes. Um, now, are these variants, but a lot of these variants, so if things have changed, we used to think that, you know, there were, well, we had genes, you know, and those were things that DNA, part of the DNA that creates RNA, and then that cre- is translated into protein. And that was a gene. Right. That's changed a little because of the sequencing, and we're not, maybe it's not quite as clear, but in any case, um, you may find a variant that is in a coding region, so it might affect the function of a protein. Okay? Right. But, but a lot of times you find these variants outside of the actual, not in the actual gene, but somewhere around it. Right. And that may affect... So then that variant doesn't particularly affect gene function, but it might regulate how that gene is is. Exp- is translated or is, you know, made into yeah, RNA or yeah. protein. Yeah, so how much is made or how when much, it's made right? or something or, like that. Yeah, and so that's where a, a lot of our work has been focused, okay? So we have actually looked at the levels of, not necessarily of the protein, the levels of the, the RNA, which is called the transcript. Okay, so, and that may or may, well, it may, it may affect the protein levels or it may not, but we've looked at this... Um, transcription and um, have been able to identify genes that are at higher levels, say, like you said, so we look at a mouse. So we have some mice that drink a lot and we have some mice that don't drink a lot. They're genetically different. And then we say, okay, are there genes that are higher in the mouse that drinks a lot and lower in the mouse that doesn't drink? Because that might be something that's important for why they drink so much. Yeah, yeah, that's a better thing to look at than just looking at differences in the DNA because we don't know if those differences in the DNA do anything when it comes to making the protein. And you're actually looking at the protein levels or at the intermediate molecule. At the which intermediate will then... molecule, the first thing after the DNA that can yes. be affected by the environment or affected by yes. the DNA. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, so we have, and, and there are a lot of different strains of animals that have been developed that that consume alcohol differently. Now, alcohol consumption is not actually one of the criteria for alcohol use disorder, but you have to drink a lot of alcohol in order to to become dependent or to become addicted. Right. So so we think that, you know, if if we can say, okay, these particular genes are necessary, you know, contribute to the amount that an animal drinks, then they may be genes that are important. Yeah, yeah. And so do you have some good candidates that you think might be involved in that process of making people liable to addiction? Well, the interesting thing that we found recently is that, well, you have, first of all, you have to realize that you can't find a gene. There's not going to be a gene right, or anything. Right. There are going to be uh, system networks, pathways that are important. And in each person... It might be a slightly different, you know, the gene, the gene or genes that are affected might be not the same ones in every person, but they're they are in the same functional category. So what we found in um, rats recently is that there are networks of genes that are important in 
inflammatory processes. And, and this has been one of the big um, things lately, that neuropsychiatric diseases seem to have an inflammatory component. Oh, that's fascinating. So, so yeah, that, that so, suggests... And in fact, it's the, it isn't the neurons that so much that we find. It's, it's the surrounding cells that are called glial cells. Yeah, yeah, because they're going like to respond. Those are like inflammatory cells in the brain. Yeah, yeah. And, and our uh, transcriptional networks seem to implicate those cells. And, um, and there's been quite a bit of work with animals that have, uh, well, you know, you can genetically manipulate animals. You can, you can take out a gene or put in a gene. And there's been a lot of work showing that the genes that are involved in these inflammatory pathways do have some effect on alcohol consumption. So if the animal, or if the human, for that matter, experiences inflammation in the brain, do you think that drinking alcohol worsens that effect? You know, that's a very good question, um, because that's, we, don't, we don't actually do that particular study. We just take the animals that differ in their right, drinking, right. and we say, okay, these systems are important, but I think that's really important to know. Does alcohol make it better? Does alcohol make it worse? Or is that really the thing that makes you drink, you know, that you have some inflammation and uh, somehow it makes it better or worse? I, that I would like to know. Right, I think right. That's an important yeah, that's, question, that's you know? a Big but avenue to pursue. Yeah, I mean, but these—it's just that these pathways somehow are involved, maybe involved in, uh, in drinking. Yeah, yeah. And so it's those, quite a remarkable story that even though alcohol is a legal drug and it's probably the most widely consumed drug, at least in this country, we still don't understand how it works. Right, and the, that's because it doesn't have a receptor. Right, right, <laughs> so exactly. Yeah, all those very other difficult drugs. To study. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we don't, and um, and I think that's you know it's a problem because you would like to uh, be able to. Well, as a pharmacologist, you know, I I would my idea is that you find something, some kind of therapy that sure. could yeah. affect people. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, and. In fact, the glia that I'm talking about, they, they actually produce GABA. So it is a system that we know that alcohol affects. Oh, that can tie in there too as yeah. well. Sure, sure. So, you know, and the drugs that are available so far for treatment are drugs that affect the opioid system, which is something that's important for, for reinforcement, and alcohol does affect that system. Right, right. And then another drug that we're not really sure what it affects. I can't yeah. Say so. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paula, this has been so interesting. I can tell we're going to have to talk to you again in the future, but we are out of time. Okay. So we will get back to you and hear more about some of these other systems and maybe even some drugs in the future. Okay. Sounds good. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran. This week's show was produced by Beth Bennett and engineered by Maeve Conran. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Luke Bryan. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, as well as following us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.